Hello and welcome back to the Plugin for More podcast. I'm Tom, and in this week's episode, we're presenting an already released episode. Originally, we released this one in May of 2022. This episode discusses the difference between an all-electric vehicle and a hybrid vehicle. It's an important distinction to make when it comes time to pull the trigger on a new vehicle. While a Swiss Army knife and all-in-one printer, scanner, copiers have their place, it doesn't always translate to every tool we use. Listen in to find our take on hybrids and why it isn't necessarily the best of both worlds. Lastly, we appreciate your time and taking the chance to listen to our show, but we want to make a big ask. On behalf of the Plugin for More team, I want to ask you to take a moment to rate and review our podcast in whichever platform you're using. Not only do we appreciate the feedback and helping guide our growth as a show, but those ratings will expand the reach the podcast has. Those ratings and reviews really do make a difference to the algorithms, and we will see them. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode, but in the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to Plug In For More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant. I, uh, I got us recording here, guys. Welcome. I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy we're back again. Likewise. Let's get into our, our news stuff and our updates of uh, what we've done or found or learned since the last time we came to a recording. Sounds great. So I'll take it from here as far as what I was doing this past week. Just yesterday, I got into our local Audi dealership and set up an appointment to test drive. They had a certified used 2021 Audi e-tron SUV. This particular model was the premium version. It had like 18,000 miles, listed at 70,000 for a used vehicle. But as far as the vehicle goes, this particular car, I think it rode really well. It's very luxurious. It has heat and cooled seats. It's pretty quick, especially for a heavy vehicle. This particular car is 6,000 pounds, which, as you both know, having a um, Dodge Ram, it's almost exactly the same weight, which is incredible for a midsize SUV. Other than that, a couple of things I didn't like about it. The range is only 222 miles. It doesn't have much of a front trunk. It was big enough for new charging cables, and that was about it. Hmm. Other than that, the storage was a little bit less than what you typically see in an SUV of the same size. So overall, great vehicle, quality built, but I think that range is really not ideal. If you're going to have a secondary vehicle, one that you can go on longer trips, great, great round town car. But for me, it's only going to be that niche for someone who wants a true luxury vehicle over someone who wants a tech and the ability to have a one car be their EV. So size-wise on that, what would you compare it to, to like a more common vehicle? Yeah, probably just slightly larger than, than the Audi Q5 or smaller than a Tahoe. Ford Explorer size? Yeah, uh, I would say the, the storage is a little bit less than that. Okay. But the overall size is, is pretty comparable. Okay, it, cool. Really well-built car. Really enjoyed it from that aspect. It wasn't quite as sporty as the Model Y. And then mm-hmm. the infotainment was was not on par but that, i mean it was a little bit older vehicle um again and it had eighteen thousand miles so it was a little bit of a used car okay. but still i mean it's only a year old i think for them to compete with tesla and other ev makers currently they're going to have to really increase that range if they did got up to let's say 300 miles 
think it'd be really compelling at that price point. But right now, being 70K and you can get a Tesla with maybe almost 30% more range. Sure. That's 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 significant. So anyways, that was my first impressions on that. What do you guys have for this week? I was uh I was looking through the cargo manifest of the Felicity Ace, which if you remember that was that cargo ship a few months ago that caught fire and sank in the Atlantic Ocean. Because my continued quest to get my Q4 e-tron, they're still optimistic that uh, May June time is real. But so I was looking to see how many were lost at sea. First of all, if there's 30 million dollars in Bentleys, nothing to do with electric vehicles, but 30 million in Bentleys were lost. I think it was 122 Porsches. So that's not a good day. From the electric vehicle side, though, I was absolutely kind of enthralled because it wasn't that bad. There was in the manifest. Five uh, Volkswagen ID4s, so those are full electric. Um, 34 Audi e-trons and nine e-tron sportsbacks, but no uh, Q4 e-trons. So that's good news. Wow, kind of stinks though. 34 e-trons, you know. But the biggest one was, like I said, those 124 Porsches. And there's a, there's some um, there's some electric Porsches in there as well. Um, some Taycans as well. But so I'm still optimistic. But they cannot tell me exactly when I'll still get the car. And multiple dealers are saying the same thing. So my update is I had a little bit of a wandering eye. And I was looking at the Kia EV6. That is a very interesting car. I just started researching it. So maybe I'll talk a little bit more in a, in a future podcast. But the starting point, the entry point, 40000 Pretty well equipped. I was very impressed with that. It does qualify as Mike just said, for the $7,500 rebate. So you're talking low 30s for a pretty impressive car. The base model has 310 miles of range. Also has mm. 0 to 60 in the mid fives, uh, or sorry, mid fours. So 4.6 seconds, 0 to 60, that's faster um, than a Cayenne. And I was really impressed. So, and there's a faster version as well. There's a, there's a, a V6 uh, GT, I think they call it, um, which is quicker. Okay. So, I'm really interested in researching this car. Um, it has a heads-up display. It has all the cool features that, that you'd expect in an in a EV. And so uh, I'm going to research that more, and I might throw my name on the list and see uh, see the availability um, of, of getting an EV6. Yeah, and that's pretty cool that in the Kia EV6 is going to be built on that same platform as the Hyundai Ioniq 5. It's the Hyundai Electric Global Modular Platform is what they're calling it. So they're looking at building up to like 23 different Hyundais off of this platform and, and expanding the different lines. I think Genesis has one and then um, other variations of the Ionic and the EV4, EV6 would be another one that comes out too. So there's going to be a bunch of vehicles coming off that platform, which is kind of cool that it's such a robust power plant, really. Yeah, I didn't realize that, Tom. Right, you should get on that list now if you're thinking about it. Especially if it, do you know what the cost is to reserve a vehicle? No, but after this, I'm going to go on and to your point, reserve one or get in line. I've been seeing, I've, I've joined some of the, the owner groups. I've seen them being delivered in the United States. I know they're available. Um, and that's that's what caught my eye. It's actually a kind of a cool looking car. I don't know the size. It's kind of hard to see. It's a crossover. I'm assuming it's similar size to a Q4 e-tron, but. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in the list, so we'll have a I'll have an update in our next podcast about, about what that is. Yeah, I mean for half the price, I think that deserves a well at least over the the one that I drove the e-tron SUV that that was essentially half price what you're describing there. And to me, there's a lot of a lot of things you can do with thirty five thousand dollars, and yeah. that would be top of my list. 
was yeah. looking for another one. Well, and I think, uh, I think, you know, it's a little bit, my hesitation has been growing up, you know, Kia's were a little bit of the, you know, entry level, but my experience recently with some of the, the Kia's, uh, the Telluride is a really nice car. Like Kia's taken its brand and quality light years ahead. So I just need to get over that mental, mental hurdle of, hey, I'm ordering a Kia. Like I need to be fine with saying that, but. The quality and the build is take. I mean, the last few years, any key I've got is a rental car or ridden in with the friends. It's been really good. And I would have that exact same fear too, Brian. Like, and I'd be worried about like the seats falling apart or something silly where like maybe the fit and finish isn't going to be there like you're going to have on Audi. But maybe that's completely unfair. Yeah. Like a Kia, Hyundai, like I, yeah. I want nothing to do with them. Well, I mean, I think we saw them as kids in town falling apart. Right. I mean, just being decimated by the, the winners and the salt. I mean, they were just nowhere near the quality of any other vehicle at that time. And I think he, I think they've all come out and said that. I mean, they, they, I remember reading an article a few years ago about it, and there were so there was so much work done to improve their quality, which is I think why they're where, where they're at now. They fixed yeah. a lot of it. It was I mean, it was bad. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's just us. I think they've been trying to overcome that for a while. Sure. Well, and even Dodge Rams of the late 90s were notorious for being piles of junk, too. Where? We had one. We had a 98. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. I think that took the prom. Yeah. I don't remember that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was all black. Um, had Nerf bars on it. It was. I thought it was the coolest truck ever. But uh, when we sold it, I mean, the, the amount of rust on it, and it only had like 15,000 miles. We had it oh, for wow. Years because it was my mom's truck and she never drove anywhere and it was in the, the bottom of that thing was just decimated it mm. looked like a nice truck on the outside but then you get underneath it and you're like "Ooh, this oh. is not good yeah yeah i mean i guess things change we should be accepting of that and yep. and not brand shame i'm not getting the juices flowing from ordering a q4 e-tron versus an ev6 it's not the same feel even though the ev6 actually in all aspects, is better car for the price. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, as soon as you stand on the the accelerator and you're gone in four and a half seconds to sixty, I think you're going to be uh, not regretting that decision. I think you're right, especially when you're faster than my Mach E. That whenever that gets here too. <laughs> yeah. The Mach E that I'm looking at is like five point two seconds on the zero to sixty for the the base model. That's all quick. All quick. It's all quick. It's yeah. funny when we talk about this stuff. You look back. On five, ten years ago, you're talking about any car that's under five seconds, like that's a legit sports car. I mean, even like I think the Corvette C6 was like mm-hmm. 4.5, 4.6, and they, I mean, it's a Corvette for crying out loud. Yeah. And now you're like, oh, it's not that fast. It's the mid range one, it's 4.2. Right. <laughs> right. Like, it's, it's, it's unreal. That's you need that you can take the whole family in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the base model yeah. is four mid fours, you know, low fours, and that, and we're like, ah, oh, that's not that, you know, it's crazy. I've been digging into uh, different solutions for EV charging and being self sustainable. Uh, we talked about it a couple times prior in the podcast, but uh, going solar, and I had a company come out to give me a quote on uh, solar panels for my roof. Basically, this company comes out, they take pictures, they look at your uh, infrastructure setup compare your energy energy bills to what ex- expected production would be for it. The company that came out for me gave me a quote for like 16 panels to put on my roof. 
the 16 panel system comes with a backup battery, the power inverter, like everything you need to be a turnkey startup for having your house being solar powered. The panels they expected would produce 92% of my monthly uh, energy needs based upon what they are right now. But the kicker is that the sticker price on it was $65,000. Ooh, man. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, as you, you guys both know, I, I have solar on my house. I do not have battery backup, but we put it on the house back in oh, 2018, 2017, some, somewhere in that range. Um, and our system is a 17 kilowatt hour system. And okay. for us at the time, it was about the same as far as what it would cover, about 90 some percent of our daily needs. But for the most part, it covers everything now for that system the msrp on it or the initial quoted price was twenty one thousand for that system and then we had a local rebate which took it down to approximately fifteen thousand okay so it's pretty significant uh but the the roi on it so the return on the investment was about seven and a half years mm. which we're already you know, a number of years into that, we're almost, we're probably halfway at this point. To me, it's been a no-brainer when I look at the energy costs and how much it's brought things down. As much as I like the idea of being able to be completely off-grid, the cost at this point in time, unless you've got money to throw away, just doesn't, to me, doesn't make sense for most people. Unless you're, again, wanting to go off-grid. Right. And my initial thought jumping into it was... Yeah, I know it's going to be thousands of dollars. I know that I'll probably have to finance it. There'll be monthly payments. But if my monthly payments for my solar panels is offset by my savings in electricity, then I'm going to be at a net gain for owning my electric production and then also not having to pay for electricity. I think that's pretty cool. But the pricing for the monthly payments would end up breaking down to being like two and a half times what my monthly electric bill is. And it just doesn't make sense. One. My neighbor just installed panels on his house, so I want to have a chat with him to find out what he was quoted, because he obviously did the math, and he's not, you know, he's not have money to throw away. He figured out there's, there's an ROI there, so I'm curious to chat with him, but two, I was always curious, so I have a heat pump in my house. I use a lot of electricity in the winter when um, I won't go through all the heat pump stuff, but basically between, you know, 20 and 35 degrees, I don't use any propane. I use electric to heat my house, and... I was wondering about, did they talk about it any, because I use most of my electricity in the winter. What about, you know, where we live, it's cloudy in the winter. You don't get a ton of sunny days. Did, did they talk about anything around like winter, how much you get out of the solar panels when it's cloudy versus summer? I mean, obviously in summer, you're going to get every single day sunny here mostly, but winter, when I need most of it, it's kind of cloudy. Did they talk to you about that at all? A little bit, and they didn't delve too deep into the tech for it, but ultimately what they told me is that their panels that they source uh, collect ultraviolet light so that it's coming through the clouds and getting to the panels no matter what. I I have to believe there's a difference between a cloudy day and a sunny day, but they made it sound like it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Well, let me jump in on my experience with that. The cloudiness, it, it, I think it does depend. I think you're going to see less. That's what we've noticed on the really cloudy days, really rainy days. You're going to see a significant decrease in what's going to come through. Okay. Maybe their panels have some magic to them or some new technology that I'm not aware of. 
like everything else, uh, there's a ideal temperature range for accepting electricity. Sure. And when it's cold outside, it actually you get more, even though your days are shorter in the in the, the winter because of the way it accepts more energy at during the, the colder months. It doesn't even itself out, but it doesn't make it as terrible as what you think, if that makes sense. Sure. In terms, I, I've been very generic and referring to this company because I do question their legitimacy and whatnot. So you refer to magic and panels and maybe there's magic there. Maybe it's made up. I don't know. It, it, maybe it's maybe it's a newer panel that, again, I haven't researched it a ton in the last few months, mm-hmm. but um, you know, maybe maybe they're using some different technology sure. that and I'm unaware of. Okay. Well, it's still on the horizon for me, but this isn't going to be the choice I go with. Yeah, it's good. Makes sense to me. You're listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicles. Well, let's uh, jump into the next segment of our podcast here, guys, about what we came here to talk about and the uh, difference between a hybrid vehicle and then a straight-up plug-in electric vehicle or all-electric vehicle. Mike has a lot of experience with all types of cars, including the hybrids and EVs and ICE vehicles. And Mike, I was just hoping you could take a take a run for us on the differences and pros and cons. Absolutely. So... Beginning with plug-in hybrids, um, just to give everyone my experience with them, and we've had a number of different vehicles, both on the EV side and on the plug-in hybrid side. So on the plug-in side of things, we've had a couple different vehicles. The first one that we've had was the it was a 2017 Pacifica hybrid minivan, and that one got approximately 30 miles of range. Second one we had was a BMW i8 coupe. And that was a fun, you know, sports car. Uh, but then the third one we have, it currently still own, is a 2021 Jeep Wrangler 4xe. That car uh, is my wife's, and the reason she wanted that particular vehicle is because she had a Model X before. She wanted a convertible. She wanted something that still be electric, and she's always wanted a Jeep. But very quickly, she has realized she wants the Magneto which is the concept car for Jeep, which is a full EV. Okay. I was curious. So my friend just got the same car you got, and they've been driving mostly around town. They're mostly driving on battery. Can you, you talk a little bit about how much gas you're going through on that on that vehicle? Are you going mostly on battery? The Jeep 4xe, that vehicle, right now we're seeing about 20 miles all electric. But you have to, when you get in the car, select electric from the, the dash versus hmm. hybrid versus hold, which on hold, it just holds the um, the, the ICE engine and saves that um, battery for a later you know, off-road experience if you wanna go quietly through the woods or something like that, which the, the torque is great. And it's a really quick vehicle when you step on it, but overall we're seeing, and this is around town, not doing a ton of long distance driving just for my wife to and from work, which is, 25 miles on some days, 12 on other days, a combined average of like 33 miles per gallon, which we plug in religiously on that thing. Overall, it's not great at all. Hmm. It really isn't, which kind of leads me into 
my overall thoughts on hybrids. Now, after owning three of them and driving tons and tons of miles and driving them across country with the minivan, my thought process on them is they're kind of the worst of both worlds in a lot of ways with the plug-in hybrids because you have small battery, normally with a smaller electric motor and a smaller gas engine. And when you combine those two, you have even more components than you normally would. You have to make sure that they work really well together and very seamlessly. Okay. And is it, I think it comes down to, and I have a completely unscientific opinion about things that do multiple things, like all-in-one printer, fax, scanner, that kind of stuff. Like, I, you want a printer, get a printer. If you want a fax, get a fax. Yep. Whatever. Jack wall trades, master of all. Right. So you have a complication of systems between the traditional ice and then trying to be electric, and you're not really doing either one well. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from you. That's exactly what I'm saying exactly what i'm saying it doesn't mesh well and again you're getting the worst of both worlds you really are a lot of people buy them for longer road trips because they think they can get good mileage around town and then go on a road trip you want to stop to charge up for a long time again the number of times that actually worked in that manner was just a handful of times mm -hmm. frankly once you get used to the calmness of the ev mode when it runs on gas for let's say you run on a five-hour road trip it gets to be really annoying very quickly because it sounds really really rough um, with those mm. smaller engines and those and those plug-in hybrids the other thing i this is just a prediction in the long term hybrids are not going to be around for that long that's what i'm guessing because evs have so many more benefits and you're already putting a battery into something you, you already have to charge it up you might as well just go all the way and do it the quote-unquote right way so, so mike it's interesting because my dodge ram so i've have a v6 with the e-torque and the e-torque is even smaller it's like the tiniest battery ever i don't even fully understand how it works because it's not it's not a big deal but the idea behind the e-torque though is it's a small electric motor that's supposed to start the vehicle off of a dead stop and help with gas mileage into your point when that engages it is super clunky there's like this lull on my car when it's and it doesn't engage all the time i don't know when it decides to engage and when it doesn't i really don't but it's weird because it's like at first I was like, is this transmission like going out on this truck? This truck's brand new. What the heck? But it's this e-torque transition between this tiny little battery pushing the car forward off a dead stop to start the car and help the gas mileage and then transition over to the engine. And I totally get what you mean. It's kind of clunky. That transition between the you know battery to gas modes, I would just rather stick with gas or stick with all EV, just one or the other, because once you get used to one and it flips over and it it just sounds like almost like the car is breaking every time yeah. it does it. Cars lurch a little bit. Again, that integration is just not well done in any vehicle I've, I've driven. Um, and I've driven probably 15 different plug-in hybrids. I've owned three of them. I don't want to do it again. And even my wife is, like we said before, is dead set on that Magneto. She loves the Jeep, but she wants a full EV. And she's like, the moment that you can order one of those, please do so, which is rare to hear from my wife. Better make sure it gets done then. Right. I'll be on top of it. One conversation that I seem to have with people when they're, we're talking EVs is that a lot of people are scared of range and they have the range anxiety. And they think that they're going to bridge the gap between an ICE vehicle and an EV by going the hybrid route. And that's something that, at least in their head, makes sense to them. And I think on the surface, it makes sense. But once you start diving into the mechanics of what's actually happening inside of this vehicle, it, it doesn't. And I hope people will see that and realize that 
it's either an all in or all out kind of proposition if you want something consistent, reliable and quality. Exactly. And that's that mentality that you speak of is exactly what I went through. I thought it was best of both worlds. I can get great, great gas mileage around town. Don't have to worry about charging on long trips. But in practice, if you don't go all in on one or the other, it doesn't work well. And the user experience isn't isn't great. And again, that's one of the reasons I think the plug-in hybrids will not be around for that long. I think people will notice as soon as they get into it, they're going to want to get out of that plug-in hybrid once they experience the full EV experience. It's just, it's night and day, and it's more cost-effective, really, when you look at it to go all EV anyways. You're going to have less mm. risk breaking. I guess just learn from my mistakes. Don't buy a plug-in hybrid. Go full EV. Call it a day. Enjoy your ride. I uh, appreciate you guys being here today for the podcast. It was fun talking to you. Same here. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate that. All right, you guys have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Plug In for More. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, evuniverse.com. Until next time.